So once more Jesus spoke to them in parables saying the kingdom in heaven the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son he sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet but they would not come again he sent other slaves saying tell those who have been invited look I've prepared my dinner my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready come to the wedding banquet but they made light of it and went away one to his farm another to his business while the rest seized his slaves mistreated them and killed them the king was enraged he sent his troops destroyed those murderers and burned their city then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the street and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. <clears throat> but when the, wind, when the king came in to see guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The gospel of the Lord. Praise <laughs> Please be seated. <clears throat> May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the last few Sundays, we have been spending time in the vineyard. Today, our text takes us to the banquet feast. <laughs> and that seems like a natural progression, a banquet feast, in terms of themes. You bring in the produce, the labor of harvesting, and then the fruits of the labor, the feast. Makes sense. The feast is reflecting part of God's great abundance. And as God shares the feast, the feast shows God's generosity. But there is also a harsh side to last Sunday's and today's gospel reading. And so today I'm going to address some of that. Thus I said, the gospel of the Lord? What's happening in the Gospel of Matthew is that not only is there a lot about the life of Jesus when he walked on this world and the magnificent glory of God through Christ, but we are also catching a glimpse of the low point in an intense family feud. I say family here because, as Professor Lowe's would say, Matthew and his community are caught up in a struggle with, the, with their Israelite kin about how to be faithful to the God of Abraham and Sarah, and in particular, whether Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah Israel's prophets had promised. That's the feud going on. It is not a Jewish-Christian dispute, though the harsh side of this passage 
is that in the centuries that followed, Christians had used this passage to further anti-Semitism, which is one of the things that makes this passage dangerous. And with the escalating conflict between Hamas and Israel, one could continue to use this passage in anti-Semitic ways. But by so doing, we would misrepresent the texts, context. Because Matthew is reflecting the pain of a community severed from its family and trying to understand and perhaps even justify itself. <clears throat> Last week, the parable indicted the Jewish religious leaders for failing to heed the prophets, for killing the legal heir, the son of the vineyard owner. I didn't emphasize this Jewish portion as much because I think parables are best understood when we apply them to ourselves, not to someone else. <clears throat> but it's important to name the fact that last week's passage and today's has been used in anti-Semitic ways for many centuries. <clears throat> and today, the implicit re uh, retributive violence of the story becomes explicit as Matthew takes up the parable, which was also known to Luke and to the author of the Gospel of Thomas and shapes it a bit differently. Whereas Luke talks about a great dinner, Matthew tells the parable using a wedding banquet given by a king in order to make the refusal of the invited guests even harder to imagine or justify. I mean, why would you say no when the original invitees make all sorts of excuses and then don't show up? Really emphasizing the absurdity of their action. Then the host, the king, invites all kinds of other people to come to the feast, and this second round of people make even more excuses. And while some are making excuses, others in the second group seize the servants and are inviting the guests, mistreat them, and kill them, which is really a strange reaction to a wedding invitation. But it is not even the greatest absurdity of this difficult, strange, and oppressive tale. In retaliation, the king sends his troops to destroy the offenders and then issues his invitation to everyone, though eventually rejects one of the new respondents for not wearing the right clothing. Many of you knew that when I went, that I went to Louisiana two weeks ago, to officiate at a wedding of my Sunday school teacher who was now 77 years old and who married her now 81-year-old husband. I can assure you this was not the reaction to their wedding invitations, but instead rejoicing and happiness and joy. So back to the text. On the whole, one author put it this way. Matthew's version is harsh, harsher and gloomier and more violent and pushes even the typical parable's tolerance for absurdity to the edge. Why does it do that? Matthew is doing this, I think, because at this point in the family conflict, Matthew is willing to say, 
and is really struggling and then says God not only rejects those cousins and relatives of his that rejected Jesus but actually sent the Romans to destroy the temple as punishment for what they're doing and is using a parable that Jesus told to make the point it is similar to when I remember hearing some TV evangelists say God sent the tsunami or the hurricane to punish those people. How do you deal with a gospel reading like this? The TV evangelist has one approach. Here is, here is the question Matthew is struggling with. What do we do when people we love don't believe as we do? Do you agree with Matthew's and the TV evangelist's way of resolving those difficult matters and feelings? If not, then what response are we to make? Do we condemn those who believe differently or not at all? Or do we feel like we are being unfaithful by not condemning them? Keep in mind, we are not Matthew's community. That is, we are not the minority tradition with little cultural power trying to make sense of our rejection and alienation. Rather, we are disciples of Jesus who hear, even in this parable, the good news that God invites all, good and bad, because God is a God of expansive love and radical inclusiveness and we are disciples who see especially in the life death and resurrection of Jesus not only just how far God will go to make this invitation of grace but also that God's words of love and forgiveness are more powerful than any words of punishment hate or fear and because we have seen and heard and experienced firsthand God's love. We do not have to call down God's judgment, but can trust the God that we know in Jesus <clears throat> to care for those who do not respond to God's invitation just as graciously as God has cared for us. We can, to borrow the words that Paul writes in today's second reading, Rejoice in the Lord always, and then do not worry about anything, including when our loved ones don't believe as we do. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God, trusting that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Trusting God, praying for others, is to be our spiritual practice. We all can pray. I'm especially grateful for those who are intentionally praying for people, those people who are on the prayer chain, whether they know exactly who they are praying for or simply praying for a person who is having surgery. Prayer is a spiritual practice in itself. And there are those who work to offer care and support in the name and example of one who died rather than condemned and was raised to offer peace 
rather than retribution for the sake of the world. Not necessarily the same tasks. One is actively helping, another is praying. But both vitally important. It is great to be a part of a church who knows this and doesn't mind being reminded again and again. And I think it is a far better way of dealing with differences than the way the invited guests did or the way the king dealt with differences in Matthew's Gospel. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.